glad to be with you. Um, I'm, I'll just share a little bit behind the curtain. Um, once a year or so, um, we get together and with the other leadership, usually Ryan is there. Um, the past couple of years, we've been getting together with the team in Sebring as well and just take some time praying through what it is that God wants for us to be teaching. And so typically when we walk out of that room, we've got an idea, um, we've got a rough calendar um, to work on and we know what it is that we're gonna be teaching. And when we left that room this year in January, um, there was a spot on this week that says Youth Sunday. And that was uh, something that they set aside in Sebring. They said Sebring is going to do a youth Sunday. They're going to have their youth group. Their student group is going to be coming back from camp. So we're going to give them opportunities to have testimonies and stuff like that. Um, and it didn't really cross my mind until just a couple weeks ago that, like, that we don't have, like, that kind of a thing to do this week here. And so I looked at the count and, oh, well, I guess uh, I guess I got to teach something. And typically... Um, I, I'm a firm believer that the Holy Spirit leads and guides in planning as much as he does in spontaneity. He does both. Um, God's a God of order. He set creation out of chaos into order. And so the Spirit can move a lot in planning. And I see that over and over. As we set out months ahead of time what it is that we're going to be teaching, there have been numerous times where we've ended up in a very particular text at a very particular time when I could not have anticipated what circumstances would be going on um, that we just arrived there, and that man, like God has definitely ordained what we're teaching. And um, in some senses, I think that maybe I've come to rely a lot upon the Spirit in, in the planning, and being like, "All right, God, like this is where we're going to be at. Like you've already leaded us and guided us and directed us, and, and ahead of time." And to be put into a different kind of a situation where we're like, "All right, like this is it. Like it's just this week." I've got one week. It's not connected to any other idea. What is it that we're going to be talking about? Um, spirit, speak. And um, it's a different, a different muscle than um, one that I have been using. And I'm grateful for the exercise. All that to say, I'm grateful for the exercise. And um, this morning, I just am asking what it is that we're doing here. Why is it that we gather? What is special about a Sunday morning? When I think about engaging with uh, neighbors and inviting them to, to meet and to follow Jesus, my inclination is to invite them to church, to invite them to a Sunday morning worship celebration. What is it about a Sunday morning that, to me, in my life, has been definitive of what a relationship with God is like um, or what it is that is a mark, a hallmark? Why is it that for generations, across different cultures, across uh, different languages, um, Christians have gathered together on Sunday morning, and they've always sung these kind of, like if you take it out of the context of church, sung these weird songs. Like there are very few other people that are getting together to, to thank somebody for their blood or to be washed in the blood. Like um, some of the songs that we sing together are kind of uncomfortable when you take it out of a religious context. You're like, oh, I don't know about all that. Why is it that we do that? Why is it that we set aside this time for some like loudmouth guy to just run his mouth for 40 minutes or whatever? Like, what is this? And is this the name that we normally call it? We would normally call this worship, right? We would normally say, like, this is, this is worship. Like, we're going to get together and we're going to worship. 
what is that? And is that all that there is? There have been times where I have just been um, in a habit of coming together on a Sunday morning and just been discouraged. Like, there's something that's empty. There's some, I'm missing something. Like, the time of singing, like, I'm an emotional person. You guys know me well enough. Like, I'm a musician. So the time of singing can be really impactful for me. But is that the sum total of, of what worship is? Is that all that we have to expect? And, and is there, is there something that I'm missing? Am I, am I missing something? And I felt this in particular when we um, went under lockdown over the last, you know, I, I don't even know how long it's been anymore. Time is irrelevant in 2020, right? So it's just, you know, we know what we mean, right? When we shut down, it was like, okay, well, we still have the same songs, and I, I care a lot about the songs that we sing. I care a lot about the content. What, is it, what are the words that we're using to express our hearts to God? Um, we have the same songs. We have the same content. Like, it's the same people singing them. Uh, because of the technology, we couldn't hear each other's voices, but we're all still we're all still setting aside the same time of the morning. We're all still setting aside the same songs. We're all still hearing the same loudmouth guy talk for 40 minutes, but there's something that's disjointed here. And is this, is this worship? Um, what is worship? And so my attention this week and, and, and last week too is drawn to Romans chapter 12. Um, so if you want to turn there before we pray together, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. And if you're using these blue Bibles uh, in the chairs, it's on page 1183, Romans chapter 12. And this is a, a passage, this is the chapter that was, um, one of those chapters that was really important to me when I first started to take my faith seriously, when I first started to walk with Jesus and to follow him. This was a chapter that I came to regularly. And um, just over the years, over the decades, I've walked away from and to be uh, pointed back to it and to spend some time bathing in it again, um, to be refreshed by it. Uh, it's been a, a privilege. And I hope to share with you a couple of the observations that I've made over this last week. But before we do that, I just ask and invite you to, to pray together with me. Um, we'll pray together the disciples' prayers, the model of prayer that Jesus left for us. Um, it's not any kind of a magic spell or anything like that. It's not going to um, rain down God's blessings. Like It's not like turning on a fire hose or anything. But it is the model of prayer that Jesus left for us. And if we're going to pray it together, it's helpful to use the same words. Otherwise, we kind of talk over each other. So would you pray together with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we'll pause here. Um, Believe it or not, half of my notes this morning are on just these verses. We're going to read the rest of the chapter, but half of my notes are just on these verses because they're just so jam-packed with a lot of ideas. This section, this group of two verses, is a hinge point in the middle of what is probably the most direct um, theological discourse in all of Scripture. I've said before that um, in God's wisdom, when he gave us the scriptures, he didn't drop a theology book into our lap and say, here, here it is, it's all outlined, like there we go. But Romans is the closest thing he got when he, when he, start, when he gave us his word. It's the closest thing he got to just giving us a theology book. And so the first 11 chapters of Romans are this huge, long discourse about um, <laughs> we're all dead and we all have need for a savior and, and Jesus is the only one who um, met the needs. Uh, for us to be saved, the only way for any of us to be reconciled with God, whether we're Jewish background or whether we have a Gentile background, like anybody, all of us are in the same boat, we're all lost, we all need direction, we're all um, dead and need to be brought to life, and Jesus is the only answer to um, our conundrum. And here in verse 12, he shifts from all of these theological ideas, all of, these, uh, all of this teaching, to something that's incredibly practical. And so when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? Um, what is he talking about? What came before that? It's actually all of Romans 1 through 11. Like the whole argument before this, that we have a need for a savior um, and that Jesus is the only one who can save us is the background for, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So the question we began with this morning is, is this, what we're doing here this morning, is this worship? Romans would say, uh, is part of it, maybe. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Your spiritual worship isn't something that's just done in your mind. It isn't just something that's done in your spirit. Your spiritual act of worship is something that's done with your body. Present your body as a living sacrifice. And what is it that we do with our body? Everything. (laughs) All the things. We do all the things with our body. Everything that we do, we do with our body, right? So God says, hey, Present your body as a living sacrifice. Everything that you do with your body should be a sacrifice to me, and that is your spiritual act of worship. How are you walking? How are you um, eating? How are you speaking? How are you um, loving your neighbor? How are you driving? How are you working? How are you interacting with your brothers and sisters? How are you, like... Um, how are you taking vacation? How are you resting? How are you sleeping? How are you waking up? How are you reading? Everything that you do, do this as a presentable sacrifice and honor to God. Living sacrifice. Um, this is kind of a strange uh, phrase, but I think it's going to help us. Like it, Because this phrase is here, it makes me comfortable not trying to explain all of Romans 1 through 11. Because I think... All of Romans 1 through 11 is contained here in, these, in this phrase, living uh, 
sacrifice. <clears throat> um, think with me about like animal sacrifice, ritual sacrifice that's kind of, if you're familiar with the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, it would be described there. What do you have? And then you sacrifice it, and then what do you have? You have a animal that you sacrifice that then is a dead animal, right? You have a living animal that you sacrifice to make dead. It's kind of a, a simple equation. What then is a living sacrifice? It actually goes the opposite way. You have a dead person who is sacrificed, who becomes made alive in Christ. Our, our, our life is actually backwards to what we think it is. When we're walking around before Christ, like we're born and we're just kind of living our lives, and if you have uh, small children, you know that we are hardwired to be self-serving. We are the center of our own universe forever and ever, amen, unless Jesus gets involved, unless he gives us a different center of gravity. And so the scriptures describe us as walking around as dead people. Apart from Christ, we're dead. Yes, our bodies are animated, but our soul is dead. And so this idea of a living sacrifice is that it's not that we take something living. It's not that I have this great life that is all about me and it's all working perfectly. I get to do whatever I want. I get to fulfill every desire I want. And then I offer my life as a sacrifice to God, which means I can't have any fun anymore. I have to be upright. I have to be snooty. I've got to look down my nose at everybody else. Like, I've got to stop smoking. I've got to stop doing this. I've got to stop hanging out with those people. I'm a living sacrifice. I take all these fun things, all these good things that I really liked to do before, and I lay all those things down, and now I'm a different kind of stubby uh, person that doesn't have any fun in the shell of the person I used to be. That's my sacrifice. Jesus says, look, like, I get that you liked all those things, but what you didn't realize was that that was all the, um, the dressings of death. All of those things that you thought were bringing you life, ultimately, to their, if you take them to their fullest conclusion, are going to bring death to you. You were dead and you didn't know it. And so leaving those things behind... And stepping into the life that I'm giving you is actually what I have prepared for you. I want you to live, or I want you to act as a living sacrifice. Not something that was alive is now dead, but something that was dead is now made alive. And then what do you do with it? Like if you sacrifice an animal, the sacrifice is over, you, you, you discard the body. But if you have a sacrifice of something that was dead and then is made alive through Christ, now it's just walking around. What do you do with it? Everything then that this reanimated, this, this living body becomes, becomes an act of worship. And so all of our lives, everything that we do, from our waking to our sleeping, becomes an act of worship to God. Does that make sense? I think that's most of what the argument of Romans 1 through 11 is. So I appeal to you, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay, like that's, I kind of get that. Um, I get that, but um, how, how, does this, how does this actually work? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, or excuse me, yeah, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. So, um, 
if I wasn't concerned about the fire marshal, I would have done this today. If I took a sponge, uh, just a dry sponge, normal sponge, take it out of the packaging, a sponge that you just buy from uh, um, Walmart or whatever. And I take that sponge, and I have a glass of water, and I put the sponge into the glass of the water, what is the sponge going to do? It's going to soak up the water, and it's going to take the shape of the glass that it's in, right? If it's a big enough sponge, it's going to expand and fill up the glass with all that water in there, right? Um, it has become conformed to its environment. The word here says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't, don't spend all of your time soaking up everything that is in this world. Don't soak up all the influence of the world, all the media of the world, and be conformed to look like the world. But what? Be transformed. Um, what is transformed? Let's say that you put that, uh, that sponge in, in, in clear liquid, and you thought it was water, but it wasn't water. It was actually lighter fluid. And you took that sponge out, and you put it on the platform here, and I lit it on fire. And you let it burn out, and the smoke detectors go off and all that. This is why you didn't do it. <clears throat> what do I have when, I'm, when it's done, when it's cooled off? What's, what is the sponge? Yeah, carbon, basically. <laughs> it's just a burnt sponge. <clears throat> if I take the conformed sponge and I wring all the water out and I lay it out flat and I give it some time to dry, it will become again what it was. But with the burnt sponge, there is no going back. It's burnt. That's the end of it. It is no longer conformed. It has been transformed. So do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may, be, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Where does the transformation start? This is a word for me this week. Where does the transformation start? It starts by the renewal of your mind. I'm an emotional person. I'm pretty good at being in tune with what I'm feeling. The problem is, is that I'm pretty good with being in tune with what I'm feeling and not necessarily uh, weighing that or pushing that through the sieve of what is real and what is true. <clears throat> Renewal by the transformation of your mind is taking every thought captive. The things that we allow ourselves to dwell on are either going to lead us to be conformed to the thinking and the pattern and the, 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 the model of death that this world has for us, or we can be transformed by the renewal of our mind, by being burned up in the word, and by having the word applied to our lives by the people that are in our lives to transform the way that we think. Or th I, I thought it was a Bible verse. This is super embarrassing. I don't know if this ever happens to you. You ever think that something's a Bible verse, and then you like look for it, and you can't find where it is, and you're like, I don't know. So this might be a Bible verse. I just couldn't find it. Like the Google couldn't even help me out this week. The thing, the thoughts that we think become the actions that we do. The actions that we do become the habits that we form. The habits that we form become the character that defines us, but it starts with how we think. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, i.e., it's going to be some pass and fail. It's going to be some 
beta testing, and, and it's not going to go perfectly every time, but that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and, and perfect. It's not behavior modification. It's soul transformation. So is Jesus raising us up to life? If, if you've been in church for a while, you, you're probably, um, your brain goes to like, oh, gospel proclamation, like, am I saved? Yeah, I'm saved. I got, I got the insurance. Like, okay, yeah, I get it. Like, I was dead, and now I'm made alive. It's a one, it's a choice, and now I've chosen to follow Jesus, and like, that's it. But Jesus is the, like, he's a life giver. He's continually investing his life into us. Is Jesus raising us up to life? Or have we, like, taken steps of faith with Jesus and we're saying, like, yeah, like, I, I trust him for most of the things, but I also, like, this thought makes a lot of sense to me, or I feel like this, this thing that's happening right now is actually going to be more defining for me than what God's word says. Are we allowing our, our thoughts and our feelings to direct us? Are we being conformed to the pattern of this world? Are we being transformed by the renewing of our mind? Is Jesus raising us to life? If, if you haven't trusted Jesus yet, there's a step there. But if you have trusted Jesus... Are we walking with him as living sacrifices? I've got to skip a couple of pictures that I didn't talk about. We experience fulfilling worship of God in a community and a faith family. Community with a faith family. Say, like, okay, we're... Where are you getting that from? Like, this is all living sacrifice. This is all personal. Like, this is, you know, me spending time with God in my devotions. This is a living sacrifice, the way that I'm walking it out. I want you to see, even though verse 12 is a hinge, it is, or, or, or chapter 12 is a hinge in these two verses, it is intricately connected with what follows next. So read with me in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, might not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another." having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Um, Barry, we somehow jumped all the way to the beginning of the presentation. Can you put me back in the... um, the sermon thing. So notice, for by grace given to me, I say that everyone among you ought, or among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. <clears throat> As Paul begins to apply what he's talking about here in verses 1 and 2 about being a living sacrifice. He says, I want you to be careful how you think. I want you to think with sober judgment and not to think more highly of himself than you ought to think. And then he moves on to talking about 
the body. Us walking and living out as living sacrifices is something that is seen and has to be exercised in a community. If we're going to be renewed by, or if we're going to be transformed by the renewal of our mind, then it's going to start with thinking humble thoughts. That we not think higher of ourselves than we ought to think. And if I'm not thinking higher of myself than I ought to think, that means I must have other people on my mind. I must be thinking of others and putting others before myself. I acknowledge that I'm part of a body and that not all of us have the same function and that I have a function to play, but other people have a function to play in my life too. I thought, um, as a young Christian, like this living sacrifice thing was, was, a, was a goal that I could accomplish by myself. And I missed that, the, that being transformed by the renewal of my mind, that that transformation happened through the word, but through the word applied in community. Do you want to know how I think humble thoughts? Ryan tells me to stop being a jerk. You know Ryan, right? Like, he's super encouraging. He's the nicest guy I think I've ever met. And yet, there'll be times where he'll look at me and be like, Michael, stop. It ain't about you. And Ryan begins to point me to the scriptures. He begins to point me to Jesus through the word. Like, I can read it myself. Like, I think, I tend to think of myself as, as, as kind of smart. I think I think I can read the Bible for myself, all right? But, but the times where it, like, gets applied to my heart is when it comes off of the lips of somebody who I've entrusted the authority to tell me where I'm off base. We experience fulfilling worship of God in community with a faith family. Ryan's not a great singer. He sits on the front row so that only the leaders can hear him. <laughs> there was a time early on where uh, he would ask me, like, Michael, should I even be singing in church? Like, I know I'm a distraction to other people. Worship. Like, I'm not good. And yet, God does something special when we're singing together, he and I. Because we know each other's struggles. We know what each other has faced through the week. And we can lift the same song together, acknowledging the same Savior, and leaning hard against the same grace that is saving us. Our faith in God isn't just an individual practice. Like, that's not a very American thought, but it's a biblical one. So what is it that we do? Like, okay, if it's, if it's, if it's a life of worship and it's, and it's a life of, uh, of every aspect coming under the lordship of Jesus and if it's um, done in a community, like if, if it's got to happen over conversations and coffee, then why do we waste this time on Sunday morning? Like, what is it that, that is happening on Sunday morning? Is this worship, what, is, is this helpful? What is happening here? Um, and I say, and I ask that question because I want to answer it for you because it, it, it came to my attention recently that I have been doing something on purpose, but I never told anybody what I was doing or why. 
Um, I ended up in, a, in a, a Facebook group with some other pastors, and one of them had the bright idea, like, hey, we could get better at preaching if we listen to each other's sermons and, like, give each other criticism, which sounds like a really good idea on the front end, but if you've ever, like, had a pastor listen to your sermon, like, it's not fun. Like, they just are, they pick apart the wrong things, and it's really frustrating. This guy listened to my sermon a couple of weeks ago, and he says, like, the sermon was fine, but you didn't ever... Um, you didn't ever dictate an application. You didn't ever say, this is what happens, and, or this is what the word says, and so this is what you must do. You didn't ever dictate an application. You didn't give them an application. And I thought, I can't. <laughs> I, I don't know if you have thought much about the nature of preaching, but it's limited. I cannot Tell you, Janet, specifically what you're supposed to be doing this week with the principles that we're finding in the scripture in, the, in this morning. In most cases, there's something different for you than it's something different for Barry, something different from the, the person in the live stream. Like, let's add another layer of complexity into what it is that the sermon is supposed to do. You didn't give people a specific application that they need to follow through. I said, I can't do that. I said, what I do is I ask questions. But I've always asked open-ended questions with the assumption that there was going to be a conversation over coffee about it later. These are questions that we can't answer together on a Sunday morning. What do we owe to others? You probably don't trust me to answer that question together with me this morning. You don't want to talk about your finances with me. If you did, you would have already... What invoices are we holding? How are we invested in our neighbor's victory over the evil one? These are not like simple questions. Who is God leading us to forgive? Are we putting Jesus first? How do we regularly become aligned with what God is doing? What's our, what's our habit for being aligned with what God is doing? Can we trust God enough to provide for us without giving him a shopping list? Do we trust what God tells us about himself? Do our prayers reflect a concern for God's reputation? So these are just, these are just questions that I have asked you over the last three weeks. And I just ask them again and pose them because this is not the setting for them to answer. I, I do want you to think about them here. I do want for you to reflect upon them. That's why I, we put them on the screen and we give you time and space to pray about them at the end of, of the preaching. Like that, that, That's something that we do, but that's not the end of it. The, the next step is a conversation with people that you trust. The next step happens around coffee. The next step happens at a living room or it happens around a dining room table. The next step is saying, you know, like, I needed to hear that. And this is what I'm focused, and this is what I'm facing. This person has just been on my, on my nerves. Like they've been riding me like a monkey on my shoulders, and I just want to rip them off and throw them in the garbage can. But like Jesus is asking me to forgive them, and I don't know how to forgive them. Like they, they've hurt me deeply. That's not a question that you can wrestle with on a Sunday morning. That's a question that you need other people. <laughs> It's a question that you need other people that you've trusted to be involved in your life to help you answer. There's another step. Because we experience fulfilling worship of God in community with a faith family. And community can't 
all happen on a Sunday morning. So what are, what are we doing here? We've, we've called this a worship celebration. <laughs> we state the facts of what it is that God has done in the past, what it is he is doing in the future, the, the hope that we have in Jesus. We, we state these facts and we celebrate the work that God is doing, inspiring us to want to deal with some of these questions. But the next step is taking them and wrestling with them together over a meal or in a living room while the kids go crazy. Because in this passage, did you notice that we belong to one another? For as in one body we have many members, and all the members do not have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We belong to one another. So let's use our gifts. We get to pick our company. And, 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 and the question I have this morning um, for us to wrestle with is, who do we choose to journey together with? My suspicion is, because I know uh, humans, we, um, <laughs> we, are, we need community. And so my suspicion is that we all choose a community. We choose somebody to help us answer the questions that we're wrestling with. So who is it that we choose to journey together with? I have a friend who has a really difficult situation going on. It looks like the end of a long-term relationship, but he's not really sure. He doesn't know how to deal with it. And he, he's come to me and said, hey, like, I don't know how to answer these questions. Like, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do. And I think, like, this is something that Jesus is doing, but I'm not really sure. And so he's asked me those questions. And I said, look, man, like, let's get together. Let's spend some time over coffee. Let's have this conversation. But he doesn't show up. But I can see on his social media that he is hanging out with somebody he is answering these questions that God has put into his life, but he's chosen, instead of bringing those faith questions to a faith community, he's taken them to a secular community that's just like, yeah, man, like, smoke weed and forget about it. Like, move on with your life. I said, yo, channeling those feelings into something else is different from dealing with the stuff God's pointing, pointing you to, and I'm worried about you. But we all make a choice about who we journey together with. So who do we choose to journey together with, and do we need to change our audience? Because we experience fulfilling worship of God in a community with a faith family. One more thing I'd like to show you this morning. And I'll read a, a big section, and then we'll talk about it. So let's look at Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do all that is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a turn that happens here. There's another turn that happens here. In these, in these first verses, uh, verses 9 through 12, he's talking about, again, the community of faith. Like, we're all a body together, so let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Like, you should, you should like the people you're going to church with. You should like the people that you're doing life with, that you're asking questions with. Do not be slothful in zeal. Don't just, like, sit back and be like, all right, like, God's going to take care of my neighbors, but... Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. This is all religious, not religious, faith community life. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints, the saints being other followers of Jesus. But here's the turn, and seek to show hospitality. Hospitality is, uh, if you've been in church, is a church word. If you haven't been in church, it's a hotel word. And the hotels, I think, have a better understanding of what hospitality is biblically. When we think of hospitality, we think of like, all right, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta clean the dining room, and I gotta wipe the table off, and I gotta have all the meal ready before the company comes over. I gotta have a nice, a, a, a nice spread of food. Like we think of hospitality as like taking care of our friends, but the biblical word for hospitality is actually being is actually showing kindness to strangers to opening up and, and to being uh, available to serve people whom you do not know. Contribute to the needs of the saints is one thing, and that's what we've already talked about. Be kind to other believers. Like I shouldn't have to say that, but I do. And seek to show hospitality. Seek opportunities to open your home to people you don't know. And then the rest of these verses articulate what it, that looks like. Bless those who persecute you. Show hospitality to people you don't know. Bless those who persecute you. Spoiler alert. It ain't going to be easy. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, which is where we started, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. This is super important, uh, especially you live in my neighborhood. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. There may come a point in showing hospitality and kindness to strangers where the strangers are just not going to receive it, if possible, as far as it depends upon you. Long-suffering, the, the love of Christ, the patience of Christ, show it to them. They may just continue to be grumpy, and there might be nothing we can do about it. But if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all. We only have one heart. Like, 
we only have one body, we only have one heart, we are one person, and everything we do, we do with all of us. And so as we talked about it in the last series, we pointed out that you cannot say that you love God and still be angry at your, at your brother. You cannot love God and hate your neighbor. But there's another category that I think um, there are believers, maybe not in this room, but certainly within the sound of my voice, there are believers that really struggle with. You cannot love God and love your neighbor and hate the church. There may be some hurt and some healing that needs to happen. But God only gave us one heart with which to live out of. And he's making it new. We'll present our bodies, we'll present our our attitudes, we'll present our heart as a living sacrifice. Who are we struggling the most to love? It may be somebody who claims to be a follower of Jesus. It may be somebody who makes no claim at all and is far from him. But who are we struggling most to love? And will we associate with them? Will we come to them? Will we move towards them in the same way that Jesus came to us while we were still enemies towards him? Because our experience of fulfilling worship of God happens in community with a faith family. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we want to follow you. We want to get it right. We want for you to be pleased with us. And we don't hide from you how far it is that we're off the mark. So Lord, in acknowledging the areas that we've missed, the areas that we are missing, God, we just ask that you would be working. God, that you would um, do the healing in our hearts to help us to live in your strength and to show your grace and your kindness and your love to all those around us, whether they be people in our community, people that are on our street, in our schools, in our workplaces, God, um, people in our homes, wherever it is. Lord, would you pour your love out through us? Would you help us to see the life that you are giving to us? And would you help us to be living sacrifices, presenting every aspect of ourselves to you? It's only possible because of the the, the free gift you give us of your son. So Lord, would you lead us to trust you more, to walk in your spirit, every step of the way. It's in your name that we pray.